You're listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with your hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. On the Behind Every Employer podcast, we sit down with future-focused employers and innovators who are advancing talent development for the frontline workforce that drives business. These leaders are challenging the status quo of education and training and delivering scalable solutions. Discussions cross the intersections of adult education, digital resiliency, training innovations, and other topics important to the new American workforce. This podcast is being brought to you by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education and sponsored by NGEN, a carefree-focused virtual English language platform for organizations and employers working with immigrants and refugees. Listen to the Behind Every Employer podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and you can find us at coag.org. And now, here are your hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. Hello, Anson. How are you? Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Good to see you. It's good to see you. What's going on? Well, I'm trying to not uh, completely melt uh, down here in Texas. You know, it's been 100 degrees for about two weeks, and uh, uh, we only have three months left, uh, so the summer. So I'm, I'm hoping wow. to survive out here. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Not as hot. We're yeah. in Pennsylvania, and we're we're not as hot. We're still we're in our low 90s and high 80s here. But um, everything good out there? Oh everything yeah, good? doing doing great. Yeah, totally uh, enjoying the summer. Got a lot of uh, interesting things happening at work. I wanted to tell you, um, I'm going into you know I work at Tyson Foods, and um, we are getting into something. I think it's going to be a story I want to continue to tell on the podcast as it develops, but. Um, like most manufacturers, you know, for the last uh, few decades, honestly, but really uh, speeding up recently, we're implementing a lot more automation and robotics into our processes. And um, I am finding some interesting work when it comes to helping transition our frontline workforce at Tyson, which is largely immigrant and refugee um, a low-skilled workforce, uh, often not very digitally literate, getting them uh, at, kind of building some onboarding and training models to get them more comfortable working uh, alongside robots. You know, you uh, it's it's about you know being safer. It's about being more uh, uh, productive and uh, moving things in a more efficient way. But uh, this this kind of a psychological concept of saying. Now you're working next to this robot. How does that? How does that interaction? And then there's the whole upskilling of uh, helping them uh, learn how to use some of the basic functions. It's not super um, sophisticated work, but it's a different. It's a really dramatic, different way of doing the job. So, some job task analysis, really digging into um, uh, what this job looks like. There's just not a lot of a big body of literature on automation and ESL, for example. So we're really kind of cutting our teeth on some new stuff. So it's just been that's, really that's pretty right? cool. So I got one for you. All yeah. right, here's my update for you is um, I got four words. So these are my four words for the day. Turn the chair around. So here's what happened. I was flying out to Albuquerque to speak at an audience and uh, in a keynote. And I before I got into the I was called up right before they let everybody in. I had the staff at the hotel turn every seat in the entire in the entire room around. It was facing the other way, so they couldn't see the stage. And um, so I got up to speak that day, and 
My point was this. When I got up to speak, every single chair in that entire audience was now facing me. And my point was really simple. It was that they saw something was wrong and they took an action to make a difference, to make to, to, to change it, right? They did something so simple. And I pointed it out to every single one of them. I said, you just, you did something. And, right. and it comes in, in, it's in response to something you said uh, with the crisis that happened in Uvalde. The fact that, you know, we look at our, our legislative, um, yep. you know, the things that happen in our legislature, gun, gun reform, opioid epidemics, um, workforce development issues. And, you know, we know that there's so many things that are wrong and right. yet some of them, it just takes an action. Just turn the darn chair around. Just stand up and say, this just doesn't make sense. Like, I can't sit and listen to this guy with my back towards him, right? And that's the way we should be think thinking about some of these things. So I was um, I was all excited because I was I was afraid I got into the audience, everybody would be facing the other way. But it didn't work <laughs> that way. Everybody actually faced me. And, and so my, um, yeah, my big play today is really about turning the chair around. And, and we it. should all be thinking about taking that, those little steps of action steps that can make change happen. So I'm really excited about our guests today and, and having this discussion right. as well. Yeah, well, we've got a, a workforce uh, powerhouse and really a, a huge change agent for uh, in, in so many different facets with uh, Jamie Fall joining us today. Let me tell you a little bit about, I mean, this guy's resume is just beautiful. Um, he's uh, just recently transitioned to a new job um, as strategic director for the Economic Development Collaborative in Ventura Cala, uh, County, California, leading up a big digital skill uh, upskilling initiative. And here we go again, digital seems to come up in every one of our episodes. Um, I met Jamie when he was director of Upskill America at the Aspen Institute. And this was really, I mean, I got involved uh, probably two years ago. Um, it was one of the first um, business groups I actually really got involved in uh, when I took my job at Tyson. So I got really thrust into uh, kind of new discussions New people uh, met some great folks. In fact, I think we're going to have to give Jamie a finder's fee because two of our guests um, that have been on the podcast, Valentine Quinlan and, and uh, Hal Din, are both on the uh, committee that I was on with uh, Jamie. So uh, we owe him a $20 bill or something at the end of the podcast there for those great well, guests that we had. So, Anton, why don't we, why don't we bring Jamie in? All right. I can't wait to get, get this guy on the screen. Hey, Jamie, how's it going? Hi, uh, great, Anson. How are you doing? Looking good. It looks like the sun's setting out there behind you. Is this at your new place? This is it. This is my new backyard. Oh Loving my it. gosh, man! Oh, that it's is awesome. Beautiful, beautiful. Don't get us too jealous here. You know we uh, are dealing with heavy heat here in Texas, and you're out there oh. with this cool, cool breeze coming in. So, Jamie, uh, we are thrilled to have you on today. As I mentioned um uh, we owe you a $20 bill for the great <laughs> guests you've supplied the show in the past uh they've been fantastic uh and and we're thrilled to have you on because you've just got such a great background in, in workforce development and digital um, things that we've just seemed to come back around on this podcast over and over it seems like a vibe in our various uh, employer partners that come on uh talking about digital and digital uh, uh, kind of revolutions and upskilling that are happening in the workplace. So uh, thrilled to have you on. You're going to have a lot to share for our audience today. And you've got this new job and it really intrigues me. Um, and I, I got to say, I'm a little jealous um, because I love the topic of economic development. Uh, when I was in Texas, I uh, 
did a, a good bit of that uh, on the skills side and found that when we worked with our economic development partners at the state level and local levels, um, especially with the bigger companies, a lot of the big dividing was a dividing line on site selection had to do with uh, the skills of the community and the availability of upskilling resources, meaning good colleges, good education, things like that. Um, tell us a little bit about your new job, like what you think uh, that venture is going to be like. It's kind of a big switch for you after being at Aspen. Thank you, Winston. Yes, no, I'm so excited about it. I'd love to talk about it. I appreciate the opportunity. So um, I uh, have just joined the Economic Development Collaborative in yeah. Ventura County, California, uh, where I'm now living. And um, I'm really excited, but it's not as big of a change as you might think. It is an economic development organization, but I'm going to be leading uh, workforce development uh, initiative for them. I'm going to be workforce and economic strategies director for the EDC. And the work I'm going to be doing is they received a $5 million grant from the state for a digital upskilling initiative. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna be uh, leading that for them. Really excited about it. As you know, Anson, it's close to uh, a lot of the things that we've talked about. Yep. And uh, I have a chance to, to put together an initiative from the very beginning that really focuses on three uh, different populations. Uh, people who really have no digital skills. Uh, think of people who can't save a computer file, may not be able to use a mouse. Um, you know, just very right. basic uh, computer skills are, are needed. And then another group is people who are already employed, but they need to upskill their digital skills in order to be able uh, to uh, either continue doing their job well or to move into uh, a better job. And then the third cohort, which was actually really new to me, is entrepreneurs and small business people. So what the county learned during COVID was that there were so many small business owners who couldn't even apply for federal assistance online because they didn't have the computer skills. Yep. There were yep. also lots of restaurants here in Ventura County where the owners couldn't uh, connect with Grubhub because they didn't yep. have digital skills or they couldn't uh, market. Maybe they were downtown somewhere and depended on foot traffic. Uh, people in the local offices right. didn't really need to do much social media marketing, but all of a sudden that traffic was gone. They had to connect. They had to get word out about their restaurant and they didn't have the digital skills to do that. So those are the three groups of people we're going to be focused on and we're really hoping to help through this initiative. It's a three-year initiative. The, the goal is that this would be a pilot that could be adopted by the state, but you know me, I'm not thinking too small. I want this to be an initiative that can really help shine yeah. some light on some things that can be done nationally. Wow, I love that. Uh, uh, we're going to have to bring you back, I'm sure, to hear more about how this rolls out. And uh, man, you really struck my heart about the the entrepreneurial side of it. Uh, here in San Antonio, we ran into that and lost some some of the best taco shops in town because they couldn't they could not you know set up an online point of sale and. Um, and deal with all of that. And actually the newspaper did some great reporting on that here. So uh, you're in a, that, that's gonna be a, it's an enviable place to be. So congratulations. And we look forward to hearing more about that. But I wanna go back to Upskill America where we met, where you did so much fine work. And uh, just kind of, can you take us, take our audience back to the beginning of Upskill America um, and, and the foundations and kind of what you, what you did there uh, over the seven years you were there? Sure. Um, you know, to go back to the very beginning, yeah. it was uh, like 2014. 
And I had a lot of uh, people that I knew really well in the Obama administration working at either the Department of Labor, uh, Department of Commerce, or, you know, uh, they're in the White House. And uh, they contacted me and were really concerned that uh, the recession of 2008 was really a distant memory for anybody who was, you know, a, a high wage earner. But people who were earning low wages, uh, it was still like 2008. Yeah. Um, opportunity was gone. Uh, wages weren't going up. Uh, chances to advance in the workplace really weren't happening. And, you know, and maybe, you know, one of the worst things that had happened is companies had completely flattened their education and training budgets. Um, right. They were every, companies were doing whatever they could to uh, to, uh, you know, meet their numbers. Uh, you know, and just really slash those education and training budgets. And uh, so many people were being let go and, uh, you know, laid off that uh, there was reduced a need for, for uh, education and training programs as well during that. So, you know, it was kind of a bleak time, but uh, I was working with uh, an association that represented chief human resource officers of really large companies. And uh, we started a conversation with the, with the White House. Uh, they were, they just didn't feel like any training was going on within corporate America anymore. And uh, they weren't wrong, but, you know, uh, they didn't understand really the nuances of what was happening. If you think of a company like Boeing, they spend a billion dollars a year on education and training, right? Their, their training budget hadn't been slashed. They were uh, oversubscribed to their training budget as they always were. But um, it, what we really needed to understand was where training was happening, where it wasn't happening, and who was receiving the benefit of it, and right. try to fix what was wrong with the system. So, without like really long setup, and so sorry about that, and Jeffrey, um, yeah. what was uh, what we did is we started uh, talking to companies about what was happening with education and training, and we all kind of arrived at the at the same place. Some companies were still spending a lot of money on education and training when it was important to them, but not enough companies were. And those that were spending a lot of money uh, or any money in some cases, uh, the education and training was really not evenly distributed. If you had a bachelor's degree, you still had access to a tuition reimbursement program. If you want to go back and get your MBA or you want to go back and get a law degree. Uh, but if you were a, uh, uh, frontline or entry-level worker earning uh, lower wages, you didn't have the resources to right. front a semester of college and then wait to get reimbursed while you were having to pay the second semester of college tuition. Um, so it was really, there was a lot of discrepancy in who was getting education and training and um, a, a lot of really inequality being uh, created as, as a result of it. So that's kind of what happened. And then in January, of 2015, President Obama, the day after his State of the Union address, uh, spoke to employers and called on them to really do more to invest in the upskilling of their workforce. And Upskill America was created at the Aspen Institute as part of the Economic Opportunities Program. Cool. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it's so funny uh, when you think at the historical, you know, it, you really have to have a historical lens to see how the economy has shifted since the great recession uh you know and i've heard these statistics from economists about how it, it did take you know 10 years to come back especially in some sectors of the workforce to you know to that kind of workforce that you had in, in 
prior to the Great Recession. So I, I love that historical perspective. And now looking back with the pandemic and that kind of disruption, what we'll see, you know, maybe five years out or 10 years out from now, because you really need that historical perspective. Um, but you were right in the weeds there. And the Obama administration, I remember uh, the TAC grants. I mean, that was the 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 largest investment in workforce development in history. I think it was like $2 billion um, at the time. Uh, it was tremendous. So uh, that, I was at a community college at the time. So great, great work as a foundation. Um, at, and Aspen does such fine work in kind of bringing those resources together. So, so tell me, like, while you were there in the thick of it, it sounds just a very uh, in, it's super engaging. But what did what did you learn during your time there? Tell me, tell me, kind of what your takeaway now with some reflection. Um, so, you know, I think I would. Uh, well, there are a couple of different w ways I could answer that, um, Anson. Uh, one of them is your question is kind of overwhelming, frankly, right? <laughs> because I feel like every day I'm on the phone with an employer, I yeah. learn something. You know, you you pick up that thing, you go home, and over the dinner table, you. Tell, you want to tell your family, you know, there's I can't you won't believe what I learned today. Um, and it, it's just been like seven years of that. And it's been yeah. fantastic. I've really loved it. Um, let me let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. It's, it's like one example of this. OK, so I'm on the phone with someone I consider a fairly high level executive with a really name brand company in America. And we're on a Zoom call. And most of the way through the Zoom call, he says, oh, hang on just a minute. I got to I got to take this call. So uh, he goes offline for a second, comes back, and he said, um, uh, that was my boss. Uh, we're working through bringing people back into the office. And what we've learned is none of the technology back in the office works anymore. Um, he said, you know, we've invested so much money in dis the distributed workforce and making right. sure everyone has, you know, current technology, access to Zoom, whatever it might be. He said, we haven't invested anything in like four years back in the office. He said, none of that equipment works anymore. Uh, we're going to have to figure out, you know, what we're what we're doing about that. Um, the equipment's old, uh, you know, like nobody remembers the passwords of anything. You know, it's just all this stuff. And it's like, oh, that's rich. Right. I mean, that's like a, 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 a really valuable piece of information right there thinking about all of the companies going back to work and nothing's going to work for them. Well, yeah. And do they, do, yeah. Do they want to make the investments knowing that the shit, that the shift in the workforce in terms of like where they want to work and, you know, should we just go ahead and make the leap and, you know, do, do the, you know, work from home or, or some mixed scheduling or something. But yeah, that's a uh, fascinating because they've just, you know, they're just paying the bills on what they had to invest in technology during the pandemic. Um, and, and and they're all like involved in trying to get people back into the office, right? Yeah. Don't you want to be back in the office and see, you know, see all your coworkers and everyone come, comes back in and it's like, well, my desktop is like four years old or whatever, you know, I can't <laughs> use that. And, you know, the Wi-Fi is not as good as what I have at home. And, you know, gas is six bucks an hour. I don't want to drive yeah. in. Yeah. And, you know, all these things that really play into how do we get the workforce back in place? I hadn't even thought about till that call yesterday. Absolutely. So that's that's just the tiniest example of like every day, you know, I could like go home uh, and go, wow, you know, that's really interesting. Well, thinking about thinking about your your work there, I mean, let's stay on the digital piece. Um, 
because uh, you've got this new exciting job that I'm still thinking about how envious I am. But uh, <laughs> but uh, really, like, uh, what did you learn uh, when it comes to digital during your time there? Because that was a really uh, exciting time. Um, and I, those discussions that I was on uh, in, in the employer work group were fascinating to me. But I know you did studies the time you were there and stuff. What, what are some takeaways that are kind of helping inform your future focus? Yeah. So thank you for asking that. I, yeah. uh, so it was like March of 2020 and right. My work had focused on education and training and what employers were doing, right. And how you expand education and training for frontline and entry-level workers. And this like massive uh, layoff and recession hits again. And I'm sorry, but my mind went straight back to 2008, right? Companies are going to slash their education and training budgets yeah. and, um, you know, all of these programs that I've been like working on and, and encouraging employers to do are all going to go away. And so I started picking up the phone, talking to the employer partners that we had. And what I found was uh, education and training had never been more important. The right. safety protocols were changing. Companies were having to rethink the way they did things in the workplace. And I realized that this was uh, an incredibly rich area that needed to be studied about how COVID was changing the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so thankful uh, we reached out to Strata Education Network and also Walmart. They were really interested in the topic and, and funded us to do a study uh, where we looked at how COVID and also um, heightened attention on racial inequality were changing the workplace in right. 2020. Right. And uh, what we learned was, was uh, like really fascinating. Um, one of the uh, issues that quickly rose to the top rose to the top was that with the increased deployment of technology in the workplace, it was just rapidly changing the skills that people needed to be successful in the workplace. And companies had changed so many processes, but what they meant by changing and reinventing processes was basically taking in-person processes and moving them online. So rather it was, uh, no one was really, and I'm sorry, I should clarify here, I'm talking about large corporations. That's that's for the most part who I've worked with. So in this case, you know, large corporations, they weren't taking paper applications anymore. Everything was online. Job interviews were happening online. Onboarding was happening online. Work was happening from home and online. So just like kind of everything, everything was uh, different, sweeping changes within uh, the companies and uh, that they weren't really ever going to go back to the way that they used to do things. Right. So if people didn't have digital skills, they weren't going to be able to be, well, A, they weren't really going to be able to even get a job if they couldn't be successful right. on Zoom and go through the onboarding process. Right. Uh, but even if they did that, then they weren't, you know, might not be successful on the job because of so much technology being uh, rolled out in the workplace. So. Uh, you know, that was that was really kind of the biggest uh, underlying current of, of everything that we learned. And as you know, Anson, since then, we partnered with our friends at, at, at the Digital Us, part of World Education, to create an employer network advancing digital skills and equity, where we're bringing together a peer learning network of employers who are really concerned about these digital skills and looking about what, what skill needs are, uh, are uh, developing and what training they need to try to build those skills and all the things that go around a training program to make sure people want to be in it, people can be successful in it, and then people benefit from it once it's over. 
Right. Yeah, Jamie, I, I got I to gotta jump in for a second because, you know, one of the things that we saw, too, was we didn't realize what we didn't realize. Like we would give people digital technology and we would give them the hardware and give them the laptops or the, the pads, right, that they needed to get some jobs done. And and then we not only do we have to skill them to do it, but we let them take it home. And then we'd realize we talked them a week later and they'd say, well, I got it, but I don't have access. So it wasn't just about the hardware and giving them the computer. It was about getting them on it and then getting them on it. It was like, well, we can get on it. But, you know, my kids are on it because they're all at home. And during COVID, they're they're all in class and, you know, my, and home and we don't have enough computers at home. So they're using that computer. So I don't log on to like 10 o'clock at night, you know, when they're asleep already because that's happening. Um, but the point that you make about that, that um I call it um, diversity, equity, and confusion because we're all kind of confused about what to do. And when it comes to the digital divide, it actually um, it got larger for a, for a, a large section of our population. You know, those people that are on poverty, that are you know really are marginalized populations that just didn't have that skill set and didn't have access, and they didn't have a. And, and we're starting to come back into that now. We're starting right. to really concentrate. And thank God, it's programs like yours that really are concentrating on solving some of that digital divide that getting out there and i know at some point we're hopefully going to get to talk about this today but the digital literacy act um and digital equity act and and its implementation and how that's going to affect your work coming up but um thanks so much for for bringing that up and um i think it's a, a big piece of um the work that we all do uh, the three of us and uh, something that we got to really concentrate on doing a better job at in our country absolutely you know i was going to say too jimmy you brought up something that um it's kind of been kind of uh, in my mind for a while, uh, and, and now in your new role, you're going to really be able to tackle it. And uh, it's when you mentioned that you're mainly working with big companies, and of course, I work at a Fortune 100 company. So, you know, I I think there's almost kind of a bias in like where we see the ideas and the action happening with the big companies. Cause they're easier to you know get a handle on and they're easier to like corral together and they've got teams that work on these topics but it seems like the small business you know the growth market in our country is always the small business the entrepreneur and so your new job you're going to have that little corner of it focused on that awesome. so i think that is one of the areas of the digital story that hasn't been adequately told um and mapped and you know what is the workforce development strategy for a business of 23 people, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, taking your restaurant online, you know, all those kind of things. Who does that work, you know, in a community? Um, because when you multiply it by the number of small businesses in any community, it's going to clobber any of the big companies in town in terms of sheer numbers of workers. Um, but it's really not something that you see published about. It, it, it's just not as big a presence. Any thoughts about that little dynamic between the giant companies, the, you know, the large uh, companies, and then the, the, the small mom and pops and the entrepreneurs. You know, um, Anson, I just think about how great the need is. Yeah. And, you know, some of the stories I already hear here locally about, uh, you know, company that, um, you know, they're, they're, they hire new employees and they get people on their email system and they get them logged into their network and they're, you know, they do things like that, but but it wasn't until recently they realized they weren't taking anyone out of the network. Yeah. Everyone who had left the company still had access to all of the files. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are just so many, when you think of a small business, right? And my wife and I, you know, we've had our own consulting company for 
sad, sad to say, almost 30 years now. Um, I can't believe we're that old. But um, we, uh, um, you know, you just, when you're, when you're busy and when you're growing, you're just trying to keep the lights on, right? And keep the contracts coming in and get the work done. And it's just impossible to keep up with the technology needs and the innovation and what's happening. And we're just excited to be able to, to step into to companies, uh, you know, that, that 20, 20 employees, two employees, don't care what it is, um, you know, trying to help them plug some of those holes and understand how technology can really help them do more with their business. But also, I think we have a lot of work to do helping them understand the threats as well and yep. uh, some of the some of the defensive measures that they need to be taking also yep well you know and uh, jeff you had mentioned the digital equity act and uh uh this is all coming together in terms of like a really nice niche area that I, might grow um i i was on a phone call with some different public entities one of them representing libraries i think out of missouri actually and uh, they were they the library network was wanting to start digital literacy classes, and I'm thinking it was going to be you know for uh, their patrons, you know the the community members, and, and it was, but it was for small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said we you know we're, we're going to offer you know uh, your kind of standard digital classes for the community, but we really need to get to our businesses on, and, and they were really wondering like what should we be teaching? But Jamie, I think this idea. The security aspect of things is equally important um, as it is just the usage and the email and you know uh, setting up a point of sale or whatever it happens to be. So it's a fascinating niche area. I kind of want to move on here, uh, though, and and we got so much to talk about. But thinking back to the network um, uh, and in reflection, that impact. Um, what do you, what do you think are some of the biggest impacts you think you've been able to have with some reflection? Well, Anson, um, let me let me be clear about one thing, right? So, yeah. uh, one of the maybe few uh, really smart things that I realized early on in this job was that Upskill America was never going to be successful because of the work of Jamie Fall, right? I didn't really have much of a budget, um, and uh, there was just incredibly limited impact of of you know what I could do. I didn't have any authority. Uh, to, you know, to make people change things um, and that it was all going to rely on putting together this network of, you know, the willing coalition, if you will, of people who really cared deeply about the frontline and entry level workers and their their kind of plight and their future and to pull that group together and see what we could all do together. So uh, I, I you know, don't have a list of here are all the great things that Jamie Fall did to change the world. But I am so proud of what the network has done yeah. over the seven years and uh, the companies that have come together to do it. Um, you know, and let me just digress for one second, Anson. I, you know, I don't know how much of this we've talked about in the past, but, you know, college, affording college and getting through college financially was incredibly hard for me. Um, I had to work overnights and uh, it was you know, I had a couple of fun years at a community college uh, where I grew up in the middle of Kansas. And then I went off to the University of Kansas, the national champions in basketball, I might add. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it was it was just a really tough existence. I was yeah. working, like I said, overnights, uh, didn't get to sleep much. I really have very few good memories of my uh, couple of years at, at KU, uh, sadly. But um 
I was I was uh, lucky because college wasn't really that expensive when I went. Right. It was a great value for the money. Yep. And, um, you know, you could still work really hard and pay your way through school. Yep. And uh, and that's what I did. But uh, people now, uh, there are just so many people who have no shot at college or even a meaningful uh, industry uh, recognized credential at this point. But uh, uh, now to get back to directly answering your question uh, with that background aside, but um, I am so proud that, you know, I can I can look and know that there are, you know, easily three million workers who have access to an employer funded uh, certificate or degree paid for by their employer that didn't have access to that uh, seven years ago. I mean, the companies who have come together have literally created a third pathway to get a college degree for people that cost them nothing. Yeah. And I just think I'm so proud of that. And I look at that and feel like that that is a major change for, for people. I mean, we have got so far yet to come, right? Not enough people really understand this kind of network and this opportunity that's out there. Companies, I don't think are doing enough to really market it, um, you know, kind of on and on. There are all kinds of things I would like to see better, right. but that framework is in place. And I feel like I leave now at the end of seven years with a really fantastic person uh, taking the reins right. and um, feel like uh, a lot has been accomplished. Fantastic. Uh, you know, stuff. yeah, I, I was going to say too, um, I just think that um, this is really another podcast to come, but you know, the, the higher ed, you know, I was in a college for seven years. Um, I think higher ed has really got to pay attention to what's happening out there. Uh, Cause you have seen, you know, for for years, my whole career, you know, businesses have complained that, you know, schools aren't producing the workers they need or the skills they need. Now businesses, you know, are saying, okay, we're going to do this ourselves. Uh, you've seen this incredible rise of apprenticeships and, and all these kind of innovative models. And then you've got the, the, the student base, you know, the, the people like you at KU that are now saying, I'm not going to college because of student debt. I'm, I'm not even, I'm foregoing this. And I, I feel like, you know, higher ed is really on the ropes in many ways. Um, and coming out of that can be tough. I mean, uh, as an industry, and that's another podcast for sure, but uh, it's really just it hits us in the face when we hear these stories and kind of look longitudinally about how long there have been kind of complaints and dissatisfaction with the higher ed models and systems. You know what it is, Anson? It's been the reality that we have young people graduating college and just not being able to survive because of the college debt that they've incurred. And now 54% of all jobs require more than a high school diploma, but less than a college degree. Yep. So, you know, maybe what we're saying, we're going to start seeing is a swing the other way where colleges start looking at those stackable credentials yep. that really can help people get a career pathway and be successful and not incur $200,000 in, in college debt. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, this has been a great discussion, Jamie. Uh, we want to... Uh, take you out here and we're going to like uh, go into our lightning round now. And I want you to think about what you could charge our audience with as a call to action uh, as we round out the show here. So Jeff, let's go. You got it. 
we're back. It's our lightning round. We all know what happens now. We're going to go around the horn and we're going to ask for something that strikes you. Uh, what do you want our audience to leave with today? That action, those action steps. Who wants to kick us off? I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh, right. This is just a reprise from previous episodes, but um, it's going to be with us. So we referenced it in the podcast, but it's the Digital Equity Act. Our employers, our providers of education, our communities are faced with a, a transformative moment when it comes to federal investments in our communities to close the digital divide, both in terms of broadband and you know the wires and networking and the skills. And those grants are moving into the states um, for planning, and then there'll be uh, implementation grants going out competitively over the next a uh, couple of years. This is a this is the moment. The amount of money is staggering, uh, but it's so needed. You know, you you heard the discussions we just had today about digital, but now um, the you know excuse of like, well, how are we going to fund this? Is really can be removed off the table largely because of these great investments that connect our rural areas, uh, connect our uh, communities that are not networked and that are not. Uh, digitally savvy. So um, somebody, uh, and if you're listening, get involved. If you're a company, I think companies really need to make their voices heard. We've heard Jamie's great feedback from insights from small businesses all the way up to Fortune 100 companies when it comes to uh, the digital uh, revolution and how this is evolving and, and really transforming the workplace. But now we've really got some tools and funding coming out from the federal government to make those things happen. Jeff, what do you got? So I got two. One, I want to pick back on that because I just want to mention that the National Skills Coalition has a fact sheet that's out on the Digital Equity Act. Go on their website, pump it, just put, print it out. Because yep. Keep it on your desk because there's some great facts in there. And more importantly, there's deadlines on there. So yep. if your state isn't filing in time, um, they could be losing out on a lot of those funding opportunities. Yep. So check it out. It's on the National Skills Coalition. But I'm going to go back to the way I started the show off. And I'm going to go back to my four words. My four words were uh, turn the darn chair around. And, and we got to turn the chair around. We're seeing in our country so many things happening right now. You know, we saw we're seeing a movement for some gun legislation around our country. We're seeing a change with opioid epidemic is just rampant and going um, just causing a lot of havoc. Um, I really think that when you see something, whether you're a legislator, a community leader um, in the workforce development field, or if you're just in the public, and you see something that just doesn't smell right, um, turn the chair around, take some little action because it, it takes a, it's going to take a village to solve some of our problems yeah. in our country. And I really hope that um, the only way it changes is if we all step up and do something about it. So um, I hope that you'll, you'll bear that in mind next time you, you walk past a homeless person and uh, acknowledge them. They're visible. They're a part of our society and see how you can give them a hand or help love them out. It. Not just money, but you know, maybe guide them to some resources and that kind love, of thing. Love so, it. So, um, so thank you for all that. And uh, Jamie, we're going to we'll, we'll cap it off with you. Tell us what's your lightning. Jeff, thank you. And what a great transition. Uh, your point about everyone just doing what they can is so valuable, also in education and training. And I would just uh, come back to this. So, you know, it's been a fantastic seven years at Upskill America. I'm so thankful to have had this position and to have been a part of the work that's gone on. But one of the things that I've seen is you, uh, no matter where you are within a company, you can have some impact 
around the education, training, and development of the people that you work with. No matter where you are, uh, you have a sphere of influence and do whatever you can. Uh, you know, when you leave your job, uh, what you're going to be leaving behind are the people. And uh, they're, they're what really matters. And do whatever you can. If you, if you can't influence your, your company's tuition uh, assistance policy or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, pass along what knowledge you have. Help people develop. Help them, uh, you know, grow in the workforce. Help them gain networks. Whatever it might be, just do what you can where you are and try to have the most impact for the most people uh, that you possibly can. Because that's that's what you're that's what it's all about as far as I'm concerned. Wow, that's invigorating, invigorating and inspiring, Jamie. Thank you, man. That's some great words. Uh, we are so thrilled that you joined us. Uh, great insights. I really wish you well on uh, this next phase. We're going to bring you back and hear more about uh, the work you're doing out there in Ventura County. Uh, I want to thank everybody for checking out the podcast, uh, our sponsor engine uh, and the Coalition on Adult Basic Education have been just such great champions to help us with the podcast. Check it out at BehindEveryEmployer.org or on your uh, favorite podcast app. And uh, take us out, Jeff. You got it. Have a good one, everybody. All right. You've been listening to the Behind Every Employer podcast with your hosts, Anson Green and Jeffrey Abramowitz. This podcast has been brought to you by the Coalition on Adult Basic Education and NGEN a career-focused virtual English language platform for organizations and employers working with immigrants and refugees. Listen to the Behind Every Employer podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and you can find us at coaid.org. If you'd like to reach Behind Every Employer podcast, you can do so at behindeveryemployer at coaid.org.